May I invite your attention to the first letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1. First Timothy, chapter 1, and while you're turning there, uh, let me remind you that Friday night, Christmas Eve, we'll have two services here. One's at 5, one's at 6.15, and hope you'll be with us. If again, let me say again that if you have a choice, if your schedule permits you to have a choice, um, the second one's half full, the first one is all full. Come to the second. It, it'll be uh, easier getting in and out. Now, let me read you just this portion of Paul's, what are called pastoral epistles. Um, from the Apostle Paul, I'll start at verse 12, I'll end at verse 15. You follow in your copies of God's Word. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to verse 15, which is really the text for the morning. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. This is somewhat of an odd Christmas text, don't you think? (laughs) There's not one word of, of a manger or or Magi, or, uh, or, or or even Mary, anywhere close to this text. But it does describe the purpose behind Christ's very unpretentious entrance onto the world stage. You know, of all the... Um, the uh, Christmas movies that are shown this time of the year, you know, they repeat them every year. They they add one every five or six years or so. But there's, uh, you know, just the same movies that are run over and over and over again. The one that I that I um, that I think I know the most about is uh, the one Charlie Brown's Christmas. Uh, if if you haven't seen that, your kids certainly have. But you may remember Charlie Brown's Christmas. Charlie Brown was all dejected and 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 in despairing and in depression and. And he seeks some psychiatric help from Lucy for a nickel. And, um, and Lucy gives her, gives him some pretty good advice. It tells him that, um, that, uh, he needs to get involved. He needs to do something. And so she then asks him to direct the school play. And he, so he's all excited and, and, and is very eager to, to, to be involved in this way. And so he, he, he arrives at the first practice or the first rehearsal. And um, he discovers that all of his cast are, are just all doing their own thing. Um, it's like herding cats. It's just a mess uh, trying to get everybody to do to work in the same direction. And he, he decides that the thing that will help him the most is a Christmas tree. 
So he goes out and buys a Christmas tree. Now, now, as per custom with Charlie Brown, he bought the ugliest, scrawniest, deadliest looking Christmas tree that he could find. And, and he brings it back to the rehearsal, which serves to just make them more irritated at him. And they begin to scoff and they say, of all the stupid things that you have done, Charlie Brown, that is the most stupid thing that you've ever done. And in the midst of all that, that, um, <laughs> those harangues, he stands up and stretches his arms and he says, can anybody tell me what Christmas is about? And then Linus, as you may recall, Linus steps forward and gets on center stage and asks for the spotlight. And, um, and he reads Luke 2. Or maybe he, maybe he quotes Luke 2. You remember Luke 2, that's the, uh, uh, the shepherds were out in the fields attending their flocks by night and lo, the, the angels of the, appear. That text. Linus quotes that text. Now that's a Christmas text, Luke 2. This one? Mm. <laughs> I'm not so sure. But I can say this much about it, guys. It, it, is a, it is a text that in the midst of all the confusion and the clatter of Christmas, you can bank your life on this text. You can stake your eternity on this text. Now, now, why do I say that? Because Paul says it. Look at what he says in the first part of verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You see how he introduces it by saying, listen up, ladies and gentlemen, here is a statement on which you can place all of your confidence. This is a, this is a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance. And what is that statement? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, guys, one of the um, one of the sidebars in the Protestant Reformation. You know, I, I know I mention the Protestant Reformation all the time, but uh, it, it is kind of important to us Protestants. You know, but it, it, one of the sidebars was an ongoing battle that Luther, Martin Luther, had with a guy by the name of Erasmus of Rotterdam. Um, Erasmus was very critical uh, of the Roman Catholic Church, but he was a friend of the Pope's, which is a very odd kind of combination. He was very critical of the Roman Catholic Church, but the Pope's loved him. And the reason that the Pope's loved him is because Erasmus took on Luther. And he wrote against Luther, and, and so few people could match Luther in all of his brilliance. But Erasmus tried, and as a result, uh, Luther wrote his most famous work, uh, which is called The Bondage of the Will. And, and, and The Bondage of the Will is a reply to Erasmus 
um, in, a, in a work called The Diatribe. That's, that's Erasmus's work. And Luther responds to that in what became and is what, beca- what has become his most famous work called The Bondage of the Will. But here's my point, guys. In Erasmus's attack on Luther, one of the things that he said is that Luther was constantly and frequently guilty of what he called assertions. Assertions. Plain, plain, bold, confident statements. Assertions. And, and, um, I, Erasmus said he would prefer something, something more moderate. And, and Luther said, if you take away assertions from a Christian, from Christianity, you take away Christianity. Now I tell you that little story, ladies and gentlemen, for you to take a look again at verse 15. Because ladies and gentlemen, this is an assertion. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You ready for it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's an assertion, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And it is one on which you can bank your eternity. And he draws our attention to that fact by saying, now listen up now, I'm about to say something that is really trustworthy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, I want to look at the text with you briefly and and then we'll quit. But there's something kind of mystical, there's something kind of... um, mysterious about verse 15. Did you see it? Where, where is the mysterious? Jimmy, I, 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 don't, I don't know what you mean. Well, it's in this language that Christ Jesus came into the world. There it is. Came into the world. I mean, folks, that, that's a very odd, a very intriguing way to describe one's entrance. Came into the world. It, it, what it is pointing to is a, is a pre-existent life, a, a life that pre-existed. And boy, that ought to shake things up a bit. But, but, but this is no ordinary birth announcement, folks, because this was no ordinary birth. Jesus was, in, in, in reality, was really not born into the world. He came into it. Now, indeed, he came into it through the birth canal of Mary, yes. But Jesus wanted, I mean, that's not the way we talk about us. But when you talk about him, he wasn't born into it. He came into it because he pre-existed. That, that, in, that in itself, folks, is, a, is the subtlest of hints that this Christ Jesus is... Mm, Someone that we better think long and hard about who he is. Because he wasn't born. He came into the earth. 
And then notice who it was that came into the earth. Christ Jesus. <laughs> Guys, um, do you know what the combination of those two words, Christos, which is the Greek term. Christos is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah. And then Jesus, Christ Jesus. Jesus, as I told you weeks ago, is the new, is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Joshua. And Jesus in, in means Yahweh saves. So the Messiah of Yahweh who saves, Christ Jesus. I mean, his name matches his mission. Gang, we, we sing that. Joy to the world, the Lord. The Lord has come. Now, guys, what does that say about our plight? That it was God who had to come if we had any hope at all. What it, what it says is that only God could provide what was necessary for people like us. Now, on the heels of those two observations, I, w- I want you to notice this, guys, because he says, Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. Christmas is for sinners. He came for sinners. Christmas is not about eggnog or chestnuts, it's about sinners. And sinners only. You see, people who are innocent, they don't need a savior. They don't need any mercy. But if you see yourself as a sinner, then Merry Christmas. Now, let me just expand just a bit about that. What sinners? What sinners did Jesus come for? I I mean, he he came to save what kind of sinners? Well, he came to save big sinners and and, and little sinners. He he came to save respectable sinners and and disreputable sinners and, and smug sinners. He came to save religious sinners and 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 profane sinners. He came to save Overbearing sinners and old sinners and young sinners and, and, and hardened sinners. He came to save church sinners and hidden sinners and self-righteous sinners and crafty sinners and presumptuous sinners and angry sinners and happy sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. You know, guys, there's a, you don't need to turn, but I, I would fully recommend you taking a look at it this afternoon. In Luke chapter 5, there is a, in a, in a matter of, in, a, in the course of 32 verses, 
there's there's three little incidences where Jesus, first of all, heals a leper. You know, you weren't supposed to touch lepers because that was that was defiling. Well, Jesus touches this leper and he and he and he heals him. And then right after that, he Jesus raises a paralytic, you know, who couldn't walk, and so he, he heals him too. And and then right after that, he um, he calls a tax collector to be one of his, his band of twelve. So, so what you have in Luke 5 is Jesus dealing with dirty people. He's dealing with helpless people. And he's dealing with rotten people. I mean, sinners are just Jesus' kind of people. The scalawags. And so he, he, he touches a, a leprous sinner. And he raises a paralytic sinner. And, and he, and he calls a tax collecting sinner. And then, after he's done all that, he makes this statement in 32, verse 32. He says himself, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying the same thing about his coming in Luke 5 that Paul is saying about his coming in 1 Timothy 1. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're one of those, then I've got good news for you. A Savior has come for you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, we Christians, we all have this much in common. We're sinners. And we know it. Down deep in our bones, we know it. And we don't try to kid ourselves. We don't try to hide it from anybody. We don't try to pretend. We understand that there is this principle within that prompts us to love sin. Non-Christians, they continue to delude themselves. They, they, They talk about I mean, have you ever talked to many? They talk about being good people. You know, I'm a good person. You know, one of the things that I marvel at um, when I'm often doing the elliptical, that's my little exercise thing, and and I I try to get on there by 5.30 so that I can watch the evening news, and, and normally, well, not normally, but often, um, they're telling us about some person who has a little bit of fame associated with him who has died. And I'm telling you folks, to to listen to the media, you would think that the world is filled with choir boys. They're all good people. I mean, he was a fine person. Now guys, I'm not saying that he didn't do fine things, that he didn't discover a cure for polio. I'm not... But gang, 
Jesus came for sinners, not good people. Good people who went out and bought themselves a nativity scene, set it up in their front yard, celebrating this holiday in every conceivable way. But Jesus didn't come for those people. He came for people who desperately know how much they need a Savior. He came for people who know that the only thing that they can offer him is their sin. And knowing how bankrupt we are, we are driven to him. You know, ladies and gentlemen, for Christians, the gospel is such good news because... Because we know how bad the bad news is. And the bad news is, I am through and through a sinner. Now, there's one more thing that I want you to say about the text. And when Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And and notice what he says about himself, of whom I am the foremost. I think the language that you really recognize is of whom I am chief. But this is the English standard and, and it says of whom I am the foremost now, gang, I, I want you to notice, take a look at those few words. Um, there's only six of them. And, and I want you to notice the tense of the verb. Now, gang, you, you're not so far separated from, from English grammar that you don't remember that verbs have tenses. Now, this was written by a man who knows a great deal about Greek grammar. And he says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am. Not was. Of whom I am foremost. Guys, he he doesn't say, oh, you know, I used to be a sinner, but... But, you know, now I'm over that. (laughs) Yeah, now since I've become a Christian, you know, I'm over all that business. No. No, years after his his regeneration, he says, when I look at myself, I consider myself the foremost presently, now, right now. Oh, but Paul, Paul, you're a carried away. Did you not, did you not um, plant all those churches in Asia Minor? Yes, well, I did that. I mean, did you not write the book of Romans and and the book of Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians? Didn't you write all those? Yes, I did. I did all. Didn't you suffer for your faith? Didn't you go to prison for your? Yeah, yeah, I did all of that. And I want you to know that in spite of all of that, when it comes to sinners, I am Yes, it's true that that back when I was a non-Christian, I did some 
real bad things, but now, now I'm upstanding. He doesn't say that, ladies and gentlemen. Once upon a time, back in my past, I was a sinner, but, but, but now I, I've really got it all together. No, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't say any of that. He never speaks of being a sinner in the past tense. Guys, do you know that in AA, now, I'm, I'm not a member of AA, I, I read this, so. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if I had that problem to be a part of AA, but. I mean, I got other problems, but just that's not one of them. But, but in AA, they never use the language, I'm cured. They never say that. They're never allowed to say that. They're taught not to say that. What they say is, I've stopped drinking. Addicts, ladies and gentlemen, are always in recovery, but never recovered. They know that they are one drink away from sliding back into utter ruin. Addicts know better than to see themselves as finished products. I, I found some, some funny little quips that were written by people with addictions. Mark Twain, Mark Twain wrote this, he said, Giving up smoking is easy. I've done it hundreds of times. Tallulah Bankhead, now you've got to be my age to recognize the name Tallulah Bankhead, but Tallulah Bankhead said, Marijuana is not addictive. I ought to know, I've been using it for years. Robin Williams, here's somebody you know. Robin Williams says, cocaine is God's way of saying you make too much money. Here's a quote from Jimmy Young. We're all addicts, ladies and gentlemen. We're all addicts. And addicts know of their permanent need for grace. We are, um, we all have our own, you know, special kinds of addiction. We're all vulnerable to, to addictions, of one sort of the other. Because you know, ladies and gentlemen, an, an addiction is just another form of idolatry. Because that thing becomes the substitute, our substitute God. It's the thing that we put in the center of our lives where God ought to be. And so maybe, maybe your addiction is family. But family in the place where God ought to be, ladies and gentlemen, is an addiction. It's an idol. Maybe it's thinness 
Maybe it's corporate success. But they become substitute gods. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we're all addicts. Just with different forms of addiction. And for folks like that, Paul says, Paul says that Christ has come to save us. And with every ounce of emotional energy that I can muster, Let me say to you who recognize the truth of that. Merry Christmas. But guys, unfortunately, a lot of church people live in a state of denial. They believe that they are somehow immune to the destructive power of sin. I'm saying to you, my brother and sister, I'm saying to you, my friend, we Christians lack the luxury of denial. And we Christians have gotten hold of some wonderful news. And it's right there in verse 15. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Charlie Brown, in the Charlie Brown movie, he answers the, um, or at least Linus answers Charlie Brown's question by reading to him Luke 2 about the arrival of Jesus Christ. Paul answers the same question. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, and here's how he answers it. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Can you say that too? If so, Father, I do pray that you will remind us that the purpose of Christ's arrival was so that he could make his way to a cross and pay the debt that my sin created. Might we be able to enjoy this season, not because our family is harmonious, that's an added blessing. But might we be able to enjoy it knowing that the only solution 
that could remedy the problem that we have has been born in a manger in Bethlehem. For that, we are glad. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name.